This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Cards issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC. Terms and conditions apply. The improvisation for the Christopher Guest movies is really a liberating one because he shoots and shoots and shoots and shoots so you don't have to worry about, you know, nailing a joke or making it interesting or making it funny because that's his job. <laughs> we stay as organic as we can in the given circumstances of the scene and usually something funny will come out of that. Welcome back to Working. I'm your host, Ramon Alam. And I'm your other host, June Thomas. June, we just heard the voice of Jane Lynch, and a very recognizable voice it is. Jane is your guest this week, and she really doesn't need much of an introduction, but I'm going to try anyway. (laughs) Jane Lynch has been a recurring performer on sitcoms, like Two and a Half Men, on dramas, like Criminal Minds. She's been in major screen comedies, like The 40-Year-Old Virgin, as well as those beloved indie mockumentaries of Christopher Guest like Best in Show and A Mighty Wind. Lynch, of course, was one of the stars of a program that I know you're very (laughs) fond of, Glee. Mm. But now she's taken on a whole other kind of role. Yes. uh, For the last few years, she's been strutting her stuff as a TV game show host. Since 2013, she's been on Hollywood Game Night, which is sort of like a TV version of when you, Isaac, Cameron and I get together in one of our mansions to play silly games, only in her case with B-list celebs instead of A-listers like us. And since September of this year, she's hosted Weakest Link, which is a revival of the British game show that first came to these shores in 2001, with Anne Robinson at the helm. Robinson, of course, was a sadistic Sue Sylvester, even before Sue Sylvester existed. Trevor, you are the weakest link. Goodbye. June, do you think I'm being hopelessly American if I say that I think Britons have a particular fondness for the quiz show? No, I absolutely agree with you. Brits adore a quiz show and the TV companies provide a lot for them to choose from. When I go home to England, I spend hours watching quiz and game shows on television. And, you know, I like a bit of trivia as much as the next woman, but I think I mostly watch them because of the insane commitment of many of their hosts. Like, for example, there's this show called Tipping Point. It's on every single day. And its gimmick, because all quiz shows need a gimmick, is that when contestants get a question right, they get an entry in what's basically this like giant coin push shove hapney type arcade game, which is where they can make their big money. And so the host, this kind of bland white guy called Ben Shepard, he treats the random falling of these like thin metal discs as if it were chess or some 
kind of test of skill on the part of the contestants who, to be clear, do not have any contact whatsoever with these discs. And then as they're falling down, he narrates it like, you know, I don't know what, like it's it's something super serious. Oh, it's a ricochet. You got it down, though. Ooh. There's a few. Now then, five Georgie level with Lewis. Oh! Yeah! <laughs> and it's so camp and it's so fantastic. It's just amazing. Camp is really the word. Like, mm-hmm. that's really the mode of the game show. And I yeah. have to say that I love game shows. And I wish we had more in this culture. Mm. You know, they remind me of of my youth, honestly. <laughs> they feel very innocent and charming. And as a kid, I just, I loved Super Password, which used to come on in the afternoons. And even though my family was not a TV-watching family, we would watch Wheel of Fortune and Jeopardy occasionally after my parents had finished watching the evening news. Like, that really tells you exactly how old I am. Uh, it tells me everything I need to know. Um, I really believe that quiz shows were at least partly responsible for my entry into the middle classes. Uh, my family watched a lot of television when I was a kid, including, like, what was some really challenging, and they're both still on quiz shows called University Challenge and Mastermind. And my parents left school when they were like 14, 15. There were no college graduates in the place where I grew up, except for the doctor who was this very gruff Irishman. But like there were these smart people on television who made learning and knowledge seem impressive and exciting. And I suspect that I would have figured out a way to be bookish and different anyway. But I owe part of my lavish lifestyle in the intelligentsia to quiz shows. In the little snippet sneak preview that we heard just before we hear Jane Lynch talking about her work for Christopher Guest. So I assume that you cover more than just her new gig. You're also talking about the roles for which she's really beloved. Absolutely. We talked about Weakest Link, but we also talked about her work with Christopher Guest on Glee, on The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, her work as a voice actor in animated movies, and even in one of your favorite films, Roman, Julie and Julia. Oh, I I can't wait to hear her get to that. But before we do, I want to mention that Slate Plus members are going to hear a little something extra from your conversation. Stay tuned to hear Jane Lynch talk about the particular joy of playing dumb. (laughs) And there's more, too. Listeners, if you aren't yet a member of Slate Plus, what are you waiting for? You can get two weeks free right now at slate.com slash working plus. Now, let's hear June's conversation with Jane Lynch. Jane Lynch, if you were limited to a one-word answer, just one word. One word. What would you say to someone who asks you what you do for a living? I would say I'm an actor. All right, good. Okay, (laughs) five-time Emmy winner as an actor. I'm glad to hear that. (laughs) Now, was that a hard answer to figure? Because you do so many things. That's, of course, why I'm asking this question. No, uh, I guess in terms of identification, I've been calling myself an actor for a long time. You know, probably... uh, even before I really was one. <laughs> <laughs> we are going to be talking today about your work as a quiz show host. Okay. When you do host a quiz show, mm-hmm. whether it's Weakest Link or Hollywood Game Night, are you acting then? Are you playing a character who's who appears as Jane Lynch on the Chiron or are you being yourself? 
Yeah, of course, emphasizing certain parts of my personality <laughs> and, and different ones in Hollywood Game Night than the one, uh, some of the different ones than for uh, Weakest Link. Mm -hmm. In The Weakest Link, I am playing basically like the captain of the ship so that the contestants don't have to worry about anything except, you know, going to the deep recesses of their brains and pulling out the answer lickety-split because the clock is ticking. Mm -hmm. I see it as... You know, I'm there for the audience, of course, mm -hmm. at home, and um, I want to make it entertaining and understandable for them and uh, be the voice of reason. And, of course, <laughs> you know, we throw in a little bit of the Sue Sylvester there. I make fun of people when they answer stupid things. And even if they don't answer stupidly, I will make fun of them. Well, but for the most part, I know when to uh, interject myself, when to interject my personality. You know, I have a sense of that. And mm -hmm. when to be the captain of the ship and just simply guide the proceedings. You mentioned being Sue Sylvester a little bit. Um, mm -hmm. NBC is bringing back Weakest Link. Mm -hmm. And the original American incarnation, though, the show's host was a Brit, Anne Robinson, uh -huh. who was famously harsh. Yeah. Um, she sometimes went a little bit too far. <laughs> How do you calibrate between, like, curmudgeonly but caring and then just sort of rude person who goes too far and, like, insults people? I think a lot of people like that she went too far, but, but for my money, she, sometimes I got really uncomfortable. It seemed kind of randomly mean that she was yeah. just mean, mean to be mean, but that's also <laughs> the charm of Anne Robinson. But I, uh, um, I think everybody knows that they are taken care of and uh, the, all the contestants, and I think the audience knows from me that I'm, I don't go that far. I'm, I'm too nice of a person, <laughs> although I understand that Ann Robinson is a really nice person, too, and she really committed to that snarky uh, school marm character. But, yeah, mine uh, is my own brand of it, for sure, and it's probably a little, little more velvet glove, but still oh. a little harsh. Elena, here we are again. <laughs> You missed both of your questions, and what I found interesting is as you were trying to come up with the name of the Indy 500, you just kept circling, circling. <laughs> you had the five. I really did. Yeah, you really did have the five. <laughs> One Actually, of your most famous roles, of, as we've already name-checked her a couple of times, is Sue Sylvester from Glee. She was obviously a fictional character who wasn't entirely realistic in that, you know, a real person who did or said some of the things she did, especially in a school setting, would probably be arrested or certainly fired. But, but, in but not if they're the president of the United States. <laughs> but uh, in context, it was kind of okay for Sue to mock, like, for example, Mr. Shoe's butt chin. Mm -hmm. But Jane Lynch can't talk about a contestant's physical appearance, can she? Like, what's off limits on... Uh, well, physical... Um I, I have, uh, but it's, you know, it, it, you have to know if it's mean or if it's just obvious. We had this one guy who's a, uh, he's a bouncer and he's a, a amateur wrestler <laughs> and loves football. And I, and I talked about how, you know, at least he's, his girth serves him well in this life. <laughs> but, you know, I would never, you know, there's always a, a line between mean and cutting. And what's great about the... The show is that the contestants kind of love it when I do that. <laughs>
Are the insults prescripted, or do you kind、mm-hmm. of improvise on the spot? I improvise on the spot, and I have my good friend and co-executive producer Stuart Krasnow in my one working ear. I, <laughs>、oh, I'm、wow. deaf in one ear,、uh, and he will he'll suggest things for me to say. And they're they're ninety nine percent of the time really good.、Um, every once in a while, I'll go no, <laughs> like if the if it feels random, yeah, and just mean to be mean,、mm-hmm. you know, then then I, I will let that go. But、uh, he's usually very, very good. So it's the two of us kind of coming up with it together. How often do you have to retake stuff as a game show host? Or oh, never, like, so, never. So what we see is how it went. Well, yeah, but I mean, if I bumble a word or something, I will go back. But we don't、mm-hmm. stop the cameras for sure.、Okay. Keep them going. But then, of course, in the editing process, what's so interesting is I saw the first episode and it flew by.、Uh, half the stuff, which I actually can't really remember, but it's <laughs> almost like uh, 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 when we had four or five jokes, they only chose one, and you、Good. know the show moves pretty quickly. Yeah, you of course have a storied history as an improv comedian, actress. Most notably in Christopher Guest's great movies, you're、mm-hmm. obviously really good at improv.、Um, mm. What's your preference, working on improvised or scripted projects? Well, I'll tell you what, I can't do fifty-fifty. You can't go half and half. It's like you're either on script or you're improvising.、Oh. Um, uh, I, I, yeah, it's like sometimes a director will say, you know, this is the script, but you can go off script anytime you want. And it's like, well, I either have to have that head on or the other head on. I can't do both, and I'm sure there are people who can do both at the same time, but I can't. Hmm. Um, so yeah, I、uh, the improvisation for the Christopher Guest movies is really a liberating one, because he shoots and shoots and shoots and shoots, so you don't have to worry about you know nailing a joke or making it interesting or making it funny, because that's his job. <laughs> <laughs> you we stay as organic as we can in the in the given circumstances of the scene and as our characters, and then. Usually, something funny will come out of that, or something interesting will come out of just that. But he Kind of、um, picks and chooses moments and kind of weaves them together and creates a narrative and 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 it's usually in my head it's always uh, uh, far more interesting than what I think I did when we were shooting. <laughs> wow, wow!、Um, I just rewatched a couple over the weekend. So, for example, in Best in Show, I don't know, I don't know exactly how well you remember. It's not,、mm-hmm. I know some years ago now that that movie was made, but、um, your character of the you know the dog handler. If he's kind of rolling and and you're doing your thing while knowing that he's going to make something of it later, like how did you get into those characters? Does he kind of give you a brief and you kind of sit with them, or or how do you just kind of find the person who you're going to、oh, just be in front of the character? Well, the process for how he works is that two or three months before we shoot, he calls each of us and tells us who we're playing. Who we usually have a partner, usually、mm. partners people up. Some、oh, either you know, like with Jennifer, she was my my、uh, employer and then my lover, and with John <laughs> Michael Higgins, he was my husband, and with Fred Willard, he was my co-star on the entertainment show. But he calls you up two or three months ahead of time and says, "This is your partner. You're playing this person. She has a history of this. She does this. Their marriage is like that."、Uh, they live in Florida, and their obsession is with blah blah blah. So you get that much, and then you go away and. Create the character, and as John Michael Higgins always says, you pack heavy. You really get to know who your character is. You, you.、Uh, for me, anyway, it would it means looking at myself in the mirror and kind of doing monologues as the character talking about something that has nothing to do with anything, but just on what my character might think about a certain thing, and that's how I get her into me. And then you show up, and there's no rehearsal, and he just rolls the camera. 
and you know what the given circumstance of the scene is. You've spoken to the wardrobe person, so you know what you're wearing. You've spoken to the set person, so you know what your house or your office looks like, and you just go from there. So it's it's really, you, you prepare ahead of time, and then everything, all the elements come together, and he rolls the camera. With Sherry Ann, we have this fantastic friendship too. It's really mm. great. And we have our, a little bit of a family dynamic going here and it pretty mm. much mirrors what I grew up with, you know. My uh, my father was the uh, the uh, taskmaster, the which is the disciplinarian, which is, is what I do. I'm the mommy slash daddy. That's right. Like Mr. Punishment. <laughs> <laughs> oh well, you know, and also mm. reward. Mm. But um, Sherry's responsible for the unconditional love, you know, just and the d decorative uh, abilities. Exactly, the heart and the soul, you know, mm. which is what my As you mentioned those partnerships yeah there are all these couples of various kinds mm -hmm. do you work with with that person or, or are you completely like in your own head in your own it's interesting it, it, the, the, like Jennifer and I because we were Jennifer Coolidge and I because mm -hmm. we were in Vancouver uh, in the same hotel we we did a lot of walking around, you know, Stanley Park and talking. Uh, Michael Higgins and I barely spoke about our characters. We did a lot of uh, rehearsal for the music, of course. We worked for months right. together on that. But I think we kind of, I don't, you know, for the, when we were shooting, that was the first time I heard anything that he was working on. And wow. so um, that, that was happening in real time on camera. And the same thing with Fred. Uh, every once in a while, like Fred would come over and go, hey, this is how I want you to set me up. And he'll give me a line so he can, I can set him up for a joke. But I, I didn't meet with him at all either. Wow. So in a similar vein, how do you prepare to host a quiz show? Like, do you have a, a pre-tip routine, a pre-tip ritual that gets you in the headspace of being the hub of all this action? No, not really. The work, especially on for both Hollywood Game Night and uh, Weakest Link is done prior in rehearsals. Mm. Uh, the, because the most important thing is figuring out the game. And if I'm going to be the captain of the ship, I need to really understand the game. Yeah. And I have to really know how it works. I have to know what my phrases are and they have to be consistent. So that was uh, what we did at first. And of course, we couldn't do it on set because of COVID. So mm -hmm. we did it via Zoom with uh, stand-in contestants. And we probably did four or five of those. And those were very hectic rehearsals where I'm figuring out what I'm doing in real time as we're doing them. And of course, I watched, a ton I watched the show when it was, I was a fan of the show when it came out in the uh, early aughts. Mm -hmm. And then I rewatched a lot on YouTube. So I was quite familiar with the phrases and, mm -hmm. you know, like, uh, uh, time is up. You know, those, those little things that, mm -hmm. that you, you want to be consistent and say them the same way every time. And, and it's also important to the game. Uh, you, that sort of thing has to be really in concrete. So, uh, that was a lot of the practicing and then the, the riffing or the insults or, or the, the character, uh, that just kind of flows. So I don't have to, uh, prep that so much. I kind of figured out through trial by fire the persona that I was going to be just by being in these rehearsals. That kind of came naturally. I didn't sit down and like uh, prepare for it the way I prepare for a character. It arose through the uh, uh, um, rehearsals. And is that in part because when you're actually there with the live contestants, as it were, Mm -hmm. You have to be very strong. You have to be very clear. You can't yes. be kind of figuring things out then. Exactly. I need to create an atmosphere that is absolutely controlled and in my hands so that they can just do their job, which is, as I said, has come up with the answers to these questions in a, a short time frame. 
because the clock is ticking. I know, I know. I'm feeling the stress right now. Mm-hmm. But that actually reminds me that, okay, this is something I've always been curious about. On a game show, as you said, that the host, it's such a key role because they've got to kind of be the boss of how the game works, make sure everybody's playing properly. You got to like do whatever the shtick is. In this case, the, you know, the, the harshness, the insults. But are you also in a way kind of stressing the contestants because, you know, are you trying to not stop them from winning? That's too much. But like just kind of make it as, as hard for them as possible. No, to not know. at all. It's hard enough. My, I, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm there deep down inside. I'm pulling for each and every one of them, and I care deeply. But for the most part, um, it is as I'm as neutral as neutral can be. That's amazing. As we're playing the game, absolutely. Huh. Now, you mentioned earlier that when you were rehearsing, you had to do it in a kind of COVID-compliant way, <laughs> do it remotely. But I take it that you were able to actually tape the show in person on a yes. set? Yeah, we and brand new set too. It's beautiful. It's almost yeah. It's in a in the round, and uh, it's bigger. And we're all the uh, podiums for the contestants are six feet apart. I'm about eight and a half feet away from them. No studio audience, which the studio audience never played a role very mm. much in the original. So that was a no brainer to let that go. And yeah, so we uh, it, it was down to you know you walk this path, I walk that path. Nobody is cr- passing each other. You know, we're all, even though we're all masked and everything, and there's this guy in basically a hazmat suit that is uh, all over the set spraying it in real time, uh, spraying it, uh, sanitizing it. Um, And we're all in masks until the very last second. And uh, yeah, it's very controlled, very uh, strict, almost militaristic. Wow. Um, How many episodes have you taped already? 13. And we did them in five days. Whoa, that's a very intense work week. Mm-hmm. It was. It was fantastic, though. I loved it because I, I hadn't worked in a while. And yeah. um, it was, I was on my feet for eight, 15 hours a day. And I haven't worked that hard since I waited tables. <laughs> my, my feet are still a little numb. I have a couple oh. of toes that are still a little numb. <laughs> we'll be back with more of June Thomas's conversation with Jane Lynch after this. Part of our jobs here is to talk to brilliant people about their jobs. We are happy to talk to them on your behalf. If you have a question about work, how to get inspired, how to stay committed to a dream when you're slogging through a day job, whatever it is, give us a ring at 304-933-WORK or drop us a line at working at slate.com. Okay, let's rejoin June's conversation with Jane Lynch. Most recently, perhaps uh, at least what's been seen, uh, you play Sophie Lennon, a comedian on The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, mm-hmm. when you're fifth Emmy for mm-hmm. that role. Um, mm-hmm. Now, she's a deceitful, manipulative character. Mm-hmm. I know that actors aren't in full control of their own casting, but mm-hmm. between Sophie... Sue Sylvester and Amy and Angel from Hell, you do uh-huh. seem to be, if not typecast, like certainly seen a certain way by casting directors. Yeah, why, probably. <laughs> why do you think that is? Well, it's, why wouldn't it be? It's just kind of what I put forth there. Um, it's kind of how I uh, 
the impression people get of me in the world. And then, you know, I just take certain aspects of that and blow them up. Mm. <laughs> I know, though, in your 2011 memoir, Happy Accidents, a good mm-hmm. read, I, I recommend it to everyone, you wrote about frequently being cast as an authority figure. Mm-hmm. I don't have that level of confidence. I certainly <laughs> don't experience that level of delusional cockiness I can portray in a role. But authority is so often projected onto me in art and life. You wrote that about 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. Have you had any more insights into why you're so often picked for those roles since you wrote it? Well, I think, uh, you know, we all have a persona. I'm six feet tall, so right there. Yeah. Um, yeah. People expect that I know something because it's just how we view people. If someone has <laughs> size, we look up to them. If you're forced to look up to them, then you sometimes look up to them and think that they know everything. Um, yeah, I, I uh, probably have a lot more confidence now than I did maybe even back when I wrote that huh. book. Um, but yeah, it did not match how I felt my insides, but I was able to play it because um, I'm actually obsessed with the way people walk through the world, especially people who kind of emit this confidence and authority that is not earned, that, yeah. I, that I don't believe, that they're fooling themselves. Yeah. Um, and that always kind of blows me away, and I like doing that in a character. Yeah, the more ungrounded it is, the more, the more you know they would do it, right? They're yeah, just, exactly. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So how do you slip into that kind of person? It's larger than life, over the top. Like, nobody in real life is that... Oh, people are in real life like that because I'm taking it from real life. Yeah. Uh, I've seen people like that that walk into a room and they're all full of themselves and you can see right through to the, the, the syrupy little sense of self they really have. Yeah. Um, you know, some, sometimes people walk into a room and they have a natural power and it's graceful and it's something that you go, oh, I would trust that person. But this person walks into the room and you inherently do not trust them. Mm. It's not organic. It's covering up some um, insecurities that are, are uh, ultimately, you're, you're going to see them. You're going to, eventually, if you line up with this person and think they're going to be trustworthy, they will turn on you because they're that small. And yeah. that, that kind of person uh, I've, I'm fascinated with. And uh, with Sue Sylvester, they gave me a very good reason for why I acted that way and that I had a, uh, uh, a sister with Down syndrome and I spent mm-hmm. most of my life protecting her. So I took on this militaristic thing when deep down inside my heart was breaking for the vulnerability of my sister in mm-hmm. this very cruel world. So I was protecting her. And, but it was, it, it's a very thin veneer, about as thin as her tracksuit. <laughs> It must have been great just knowing that your wardrobe, every single episode will be yet another. The best. <laughs> Although, like pajamas. I, <laughs> I was remembering, um, because I was like, watching A Mighty Wind. I was, oh, yeah, yeah, she sings. Of course you do, because you sang so many times in Glee. But I remember when you did uh, Vogue, that was sort of presented, you know, oh, Sue's going to really sing. And partly it was because it really, you know, she looked so different. Um, Luke mm-hmm. Marilyn Monroe-ish, of course, Madonna-ish. Grace Kelly, Harlow Jean, picture of a beauty queen. Jean Kelly, Fred Astaire, Sue Sylvester, dance on air. They had like, do you still remember preparing for that particular? I do, I do. That was a big deal. It was a big deal for me. It was a big deal for Ryan Murphy. He was so excited to do it. He oversaw every detail of that. You know, we basically remade the Vogue video, oh. shot for shot. We even used a lot of the. Um, original set pieces they happen to be at paramount huh. 
so yeah, that was a, that was a big deal, and um, the the dancing was quite challenging for me. <laughs> I worked on it for quite a long time. We kept pushing the date of shooting it. He kept pushing it because his schedule was so wacky at that point. Mm. He was so busy. So I was very grateful to have the extra time to get that dance in my body. Did being Sue Sylvester all those years uh, kind of help you, um, you know, know that you seem to be getting so many of these roles of larger than life characters? I mean, does Sue inform Sophie in a way? Sure. Well, because Sue is informed by Jane Lynch, and I, Jane Lynch <laughs> plays Sophie. Uh, Sophie's a uh, person, not the character she plays, mm-hmm. who is much more free and joyful. It's how jo- Sophie wishes she were. But mm-hmm. Sophie's very tightly wound, and again, deeply, deeply insecure, and the um, kind of elite seemingly eruditeness of her is a complete act, a pretty good act. Mm. And she can't go anywhere without a couple of servants. Um, she has no real friendships. <clears throat> She's always just creating uh, an outside, a veneer, and um, hopes that people won't dig too deeply. And of course, you know, Susie Meyerson, played by Alex Borstein, can see right through it. Mm. You know, she's of the streets. She she knows that someone putting on airs, she knows what that is. And so yeah. uh, Sophie really has no idea that Susie can see through her until the very end of mm. their of this last season. Mm. Nora Ephron, who said that she cast you in Julie and Julia because you're the tallest actress I know. Mm-hmm. Um, it, so it was your height, again, um, yeah. that got you that job in a rare non-comedic role. Mm-hmm. What was that like? Was it very different? Um, playing that kind of no, it was a comedic role. I think if you look yes, at it, it that that was a comedic role. Um, that uh, Meryl Streep's Julia Child, and uh, you know, they're, they're the sisters in real life. Julia and her sister were very very close and mm-hmm. uh, came from the same mold. They were very big physically yeah. and boisterous and in loved life, just enjoyed everything. The way they would eat food, and, <laughs> oh, and the flavors, you know. <laughs> Uh, that was very much, I, I, I don't think of that as a straight role. Uh, you know, I met Nora Ephron at the premiere of A Mighty Wind. Oh. We were bo- she was going coming out of the bathroom and I was going in. <laughs> and we met and I was thrilled to meet her. And she said, maybe we'll work together someday. And within about six months, I got a call that she said, you're the tallest person <laughs> I know. And uh, she said, how would you like to go to Paris and, and shoot a movie? And I said, oh, I would love to. And it ended up that I didn't go to Paris oh. uh, because they didn't have a railway station. That's what she thought she oh. would do that in Paris. They didn't have one that didn't have, you know, Pepsi-Cola signs and, yeah. and advertising. And But there is a, a, a train station that is kind of locked in time in about the 1930s in um, Hoboken, New Jersey. Shut up! So, so I went to Hoboken instead. <laughs> Um, you've also done a ton of voice acting in mm-hmm. recent years. Mm-hmm. What's the biggest difference between voice acting and regular, I don't know if you say full body acting? You in just terms use of, your voice. <laughs> <laughs> but like in terms of preparation, are there differences beyond not having I to spend time prepare. in hair and makeup? I just never prepare. I show up and I haven't even read the script yet. <laughs> no. And, and they expect it. They expect huh. that that's what it is. Um, you know, I know the character. Um, there's nothing very challenging about it. And my instincts are always so much better than if I work on some, something so simple. If I work on it, I, I'll destroy it. 
Um, so it's best to just go off of my immediate instinct. And that's why it's so lovely because there's no pressure. There's, it's yeah. fun. You, you know, you get to know the directors. I, I do like a cartoon, uh, either a guest spot or something that I'm a regular on two or three sessions a week. And I really enjoy them. You know, we, they're done in less than an hour. And, uh, you know, it's the same people that I see every time I do it. And it's really lovely. And it, it, it's always very simple. There's nothing very challenging about it. Um, you're really just a cog in a very big wheel of, uh, you know, you don't have any say over what you look like. Um, no what improv, hap- right? No, no, there's no improv. <laughs> um, that That's about it. So uh, you just show up and do your little part. And it's always very pleasant. And uh, yeah, so it's a wonderful way to spend a few hours of the day. Wow. Now, has that been happening over quarantine or whatever we're calling this it has. moment? Yeah, in wow. the beginning, before we knew what was going on, we uh, it was kind of dark. We didn't do it. And then uh, for the first couple of weeks, like I did a couple at home. You know, I got myself a yeah. home studio. I, I bought yeah. a mic and home studio. I went in my closet. Um, a home. <laughs> that's that's uh, what all the greats do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, uh, uh, you know, had where you have clothes in your closet and that masks yeah. the sound. I got a nice microphone and a nice little music stand. And I did a, I actually narrated a whole um, docu-series for National Geographic <laughs> called Meet the Chimps. Wow. And um, yeah, and then, uh, you know, they, uh, they came up with a way to do it at the studios and it's you know again very militaristic very regimented you go in one door you go out the other you don't sign anything there you pre-sign your stuff at home and i bring my own headphones um uh-huh. and they, they sanitize the mic and no one's ever in the room with you at the same time so it's you know done and everybody's on zoom the director and except of course the engineer who has to be there yeah wow and so when you do that kind of thing i'm mm-hmm. just going to say something that i suppose is everybody knows but i'm not quite sure even though you're in scenes with people, you're not actually in the studio with the other people. Are never. You, or are you? And no, never so. were. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and, and not just COVID, but you, mm-hmm. you never are. Uh, in Wreck-It Ralph, mm-hmm. our director wanted us together a couple of times just to see how it would go and get some improv. And mm-hmm. um, so there was some improv. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I was in the studio twice with Sarah Silverman and John um, John C. Riley, <laughs> Jack McBrayer. Jane, thank you so much. Really appreciate your time. It was my pleasure. Really fantastic to talk to you. Thank you. Same here. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. June, I know that part of the point of improv is to make it look easy. 
But when Lynch was describing how she actually prepares to improvise in a Christopher Guest film, I understood how much work is involved in that. I know. I am so glad that she expanded on that process. I mean, once she points it out, of course, the ensemble is, in fact, a series of couples or paired characters who play off one another and maybe kind of prepare a little bit together. But I'm not sure I had realized that while idly watching, and it really made me want to go back and watch again for like a fourth or fifth time. It's true. They make it look really easy. They make it look really natural. And you sort of stop thinking about the fact that there's no script in the traditional sense, you know, and... But it's clear from hearing her talk about it that that takes work, that it's it's not, maybe if it's not about studying a script, it's about another kind of preparation. And I really, I find that very illuminating. Same, same. I was also really struck by the fact that on The Weakest Link, Jane doesn't see it as the host's job to keep the contestants from winning. That she's kind of a neutral party or she even wants them to win. <laughs> uh, it's such a weird role to play. It really is. And this is where I confess that Earlier this week, I recorded a podcast for another company, not a Slate podcast, where I was a contestant on a trivia show. Uh, It was not my finest moment. And I was really aware that the host and the scorekeeper and even my fellow contestants were kind of willing me to get it together. And in that case, I'm afraid I just was the weakest link. But the experience really made me realize that emceeing a quiz well requires a lot of psychological acuity to kind of either buoy up the contestant or you know know when to make in the case of weakest link when to make fun when to kind of hold back uh yeah i think it's another one of those jobs that looks easy but in fact to do it well it's really quite challenging june i believe that you are an avowed glee fan And I wonder if you can talk about what it is you love about Jane's performance as Sue Sylvester on Glee. Well, Glee was a really weird show. I did indeed watch it throughout its run right to the very end. And I do think it was an important show and that it genuinely made a difference to how mainstream America viewed same-sex relationships. But Sue Sylvester was really a very over-the-top character, like so over the top that like the only kind of character that I can really compare it to like the closest analogy was the kind of mustache twirling bad guys from the silent movie era like just (laughs) kind of ridiculous and yet I think the fact that she could more or less ground Sue Sylvester in something like reality is a huge testament to her acting skills well you know I think that Jane Lynch as a supporting performer, reveals herself as a really superb actor, mm-hmm. right? Like, mm-hmm. you, you go back to the sort of the cliche of there being no small roles, right? Yeah. Not in the hands of the right actor. And I'm thinking specifically of Julie and Julia, which is a film I absolutely adore, as you mentioned earlier. It's Nora Ephron's film about the blogger Julie Powell and the great French chef Julia Child. Lynch plays Julia Child's sister. It's an extremely small moment in the film But it's really well done and very, very memorable. And I think about it when I think back to that movie, really says a lot about what kind of performer she is. Yeah, you know, the film is really warm. It's uplifting. And it's a different kind of role than she usually gets. I think in the interview, I spoke of it as a straight role, which she pushed back on, um, insisting it was comedic. But on reflection, the thing that makes it unusual 
in her filmography is that in it, she plays like a joyful, happy, lovable character, which she really rarely gets to play. And in her autobiography, that is in Jane Lynch's autobiography, she talks about loving this job that she had right out of graduate school. She was selling jewellery on this home shopping channel, but she got fired because, as she put it, no matter how good I was at improvising my enthusiasm for jewellery and housewares, I was not feminine and adorable enough. And I really love that Nora Ephron saw Jane Lynch's adorable side, and it really worked out for her. Well, it has clearly worked out for her. She is not the weakest link, for sure. We hope you've enjoyed the show. If you have, please remember to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, and then you'll never miss an episode. And yes, I'm going to give you one final Slate Plus pitch. Slate Plus members get benefits like zero ads on any Slate podcast and bonus episodes of beloved shows like Slow Burn and Dear Prudence. But most importantly, you'll be supporting the work we do here on Working. It's $35 for the first year. You can get a free two-week trial right now at slate.com slash workingplus. Thanks to Jane Lynch and our amazing producer, Cameron Drews. Thanks also to Whitney Tessie, who provided some really valuable research help this week. Come back next week to hear Roman's conversation with poet Javier Zamora. Until then, get back to work. <laughs>